This podcast is sponsored by Smokers Abbey. They've got everything you could want. Craft cigars, quality pipe tobacco, a huge liquor and draft beer selection, everything you need to find rest for your soul. Smokers Abbey has two locations around the Nashville area, one right in the heart of East Nashville and the other over in Gallatin, Tennessee. So what are you waiting for? Head over to Smokers Abbey today. They're open late. Buckle your seatbelt and hold on, where Nashville music scene comes alive, right where you are. You're listening to Notable Nashville Podcast with your host, Groove Dr. J. Don't miss a beat. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Notable Nashville Podcast. Today's guest is Matt Hamilton, my good friend. Matt, thank you for uh, coming to the studio today. No, no, thank you. Yeah. So uh, you're kind of interesting because, you know, your, your job is not full-time music, but you are a sound engineer and you've been freelance for quite a bit of time in Nashville. So I want to get kind of get from the start of like when you moved here, like how long have you been here in Nashville? Oh, uh, well, uh, so I grew up in Knoxville and then when I went to school, uh, I went to MTSU. So that brought me this direction. Uh, and then after school, I got my degree in recording with a music minor. So it just made sense to stay in the area, you know, instead of, because Knoxville, there's not, you know, a lot going on in, in that world. Uh-huh. So uh, I actually didn't become an engineer initially. I was just at a desk job for like five years and then finally thought, well, I need to do something, you know, or I'm going to regret it. Um, and so I gave it a shot and went freelance and been doing it for 20 years now. Wow. So what was that, that pivotal point where you're like, I want to do this for, for my full-time career? Like, was it kind of scary to take the, the jump into it? Oh, God, yes. Yeah, it was really scary. I mean, I had panic attacks. Like, I would wake up in the middle of the night, like, how am I going to pay my bills, you know? Because I, I literally had about three months of uh, living expenses saved. And it, it, you know, it ran out pretty fast. Uh-huh. Um, and I had a lot of good friends that were in the industry. And my previous job at the desk job had been working with people in the industry. That's how I kind of learned about it. And, uh, and then ended up, you know, that helped me find uh, jobs when I got out of school or when I got out of the job I was in. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was pretty scary because it really was just like, a, okay, you know. I kind of had gotten tired of the of – the, I'll, I'll tell you, honestly, the story is I was sitting at my desk. I looked outside at this tree that was out the window, and I thought, if I don't do something, I'm going to look at this tree for the next 40 years growing. And I, the existential horror <laughs> of that was enough for me to go, okay, it's worth mm. giving it a shot, mm. you know, so. Well, so I, I also saw that you, like, were all self-taught as far as music goes. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, when you studied, you know, sound engineering at, at school. Right, right. But um, as far as, like, music, when was it the point that you picked up a guitar and was like, this is, you know, what I want to create art with, and and how did you teach yourself that way? Well, um, yeah, so when I was a kid, I took piano lessons and hated it when I was about eight. Uh-huh. And then when I got to high school, I kind of started appreciating, like, what music really what, what you could do, you know, and, and the sound and really listening to recordings and starting to invest in like, okay, what's happening in the background there and trying to hear all the little nuances on headphones. I used to love to listen on headphones, just kind of lay on the floor in my bedroom. And uh, I was about 20 before I got an electric guitar and it was just a cheap Squire Stratocaster. I think the, the actual kit came with an amp even, and it was still like under a hundred, I mean, it was really under a hundred bucks. It was just really like not it's not like a high-end instrument but that's all I played on for years Um, and you know I I took a few guitar lessons but it's going to sound weird but it kind of dovetails into the type of music I do Um, 
it was a fact I didn't know what I was doing on a guitar that appealed to me. Like a piano is like a typewriter. Like, you know, you, it's really hard to improvise on a piano because you hit one key, it's always going to be that sound. You yeah. can't bend it. You can't do effects and stuff. Um, guitar, I mean, it's just laid out in such a bizarre way. Like it's not straightforward at all to do a, just a regular scale. You're having different fingerings on different strings as you go up the scale. Yeah. So um, it kind of forced me to listen more than get hung up on all the technical stuff, you know? Yeah. And I was talking to you a little bit before about your, how would you describe your sound? And you said, it's kind of like, you know, what you're feeling and there's really not a, a description of what genre or you kind of like break barriers of, you know, you, you do what you feel. And I've, you know, I've, I've seen you live, you played at, you know, Smoker's Abbey, shout out Smoker's Abbey. That's where we met actually. Uh, yeah. Spon yeah. I think show. actually I was, I, I noticed you were talking about audio or something. I'm like, Oh, Hey, I know some audio stuff, yeah. you know? So, so we've been friends for what, like six, seven years from yeah. just from Smoker's Abbey. So, um, but yeah, you've played and you use a lot of uh, effects and, and pedals and, you know, like you said, bending the sound and, mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of, a lot of people may not like it, but I don't think you do it to, you know, appeal to the masses. You kind of do it to. Right. Right. And I think there's a problem, you know, whenever you say something like that, people think you're being an elitist and, and it's not that I don't. I'm the kind of person I'm like, you know, this is not everyone's thing. I don't even listen to like experimental music all the time. I'm not a believer that that's the only right music. You know, some uh -huh. people get really political about it. Um, but, you know, I mean, I like the Beatles and I mean, most of the music I have at home is just regular music. Um, so when I'm playing, yeah, it's, it's not, it's, so John Cage talked about experimental music being music for which the outcome is as yet unknown. It's like doing a science experiment, and that's really kind of how I approach it. I just start playing, and I might play surfy stuff, or I might play something ambient, and just kind of segue between it depending on kind of what the music is telling me, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, yeah. And shout out to, you've given me a lot of like good music suggestions over the years, and oh, you, got, good. you got me into... Uh, you, you too. Know. No, not you too. No, no, I mean, you, you have also, oh, oh, okay. you've also, yeah. <laughs> I was like, nah, not, not a big fan of YouTube, but, uh, no, um, what was the, the big monumental, um, album that we listened to a lot? Um, it's got the, the red cover. Oh, Loveless. Oh, Loveless. My Bloody Valentine. Loveless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. The first time I, the opening track on that album, I had never in my life heard a guitar make a sound like that. I was like, oh my God, like, uh -huh. this is this is something else, you know, and it kind of got me intrigued in that kind of wash of dense layers that are just vibrating and moving oh, yeah. all over. It's like a wall of sound coming at you, you know. And I think that you kind of like introduced me to the genre of shoegaze because I never really, really listened to that kind mm -hmm. of stuff before. Um, but you listen to a lot of different types of music. I think that I would peg you to more like 80s, like you listen to a lot of 80s. Music. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm an indie rock slash alternative rock when that used to actually be indie rock back uh -huh. in the 80s uh but yeah like I, I grew up you know i mean i was in high school uh 85 to 89 so or, or i guess i graduated in 90 so it would have been that whatever that range is so yeah i was at the back end of the 80s so a lot of my formative music years were like gary newman and talking heads and uh -huh. xtc and all these like kind of quirky a lot of quirky english bands and a lot of the bands that were just a little more because you know back then i tell people now they're in their 20s like yeah devo was like top 40 and that blows people's minds because they're so weird 
Uh-huh. But you would literally turn on like a regular radio station that played like, you know, Van Halen and they'd throw Devo on and you're like, what's good? Yeah, I mean, it was a great time. You yeah. Know? So I want to kind of get into your uh, sound engineering experience because I read some of the things that you've worked on. Um, you told me you didn't have a pivotal part in the Hannah Montana movie, but right. um, what, what year was that? You remember? What oh God, that was a while back. Cause I was still, I mean, I was freelance at the time and what it was is my old boss from the office job. Cause they, they basically sold audio equipment to the film industry. Uh, he was the sound mixer. And then, so on a film set, you have like a team of sound people. So they're, they're there on set recording. And then you got a whole other team that takes that and maneuvers it through EQ and all that to make it sound better for the f- release. Uh-huh. Um, but so you've got the, the mixer, which is the main guy running the department. He's actually got his hands on the faders and is recording. Then the boom operator swinging the mic. And then the utility guy kind of catches everything else. They already had a utility guy. I was the second utility guy. So I was very low on the totem pole oh, okay. because they're kind of like, eh, we don't want this guy having too much, you know, <laughs> to mess up. So, um, but it was, it was fun. It was hot. It was like 98 degrees all day long. We were out in an open field. People were passing out. You know, we were drinking Gatorade. It was, Where was it shot? You know, I don't, it was, I don't remember because they had built an entire like concert scene and like fun park, if that makes sense. Like, on, a, on just like an open field. Because, you know, everything in the movies, they just build oh, yeah, it. Yeah. So they had built this thing out in the middle of nowhere. I remember it took like 30 minutes or so to get there. So somewhere outside the edge of town, you know. Okay. Well, I think it's kind of interesting that uh, recently you worked on a film with uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah. And he's, yeah. you know, he's a big deal. Yeah, and he was he was great. He just had a baby. I think it's safe to say that because it happened while we were filming. He had to take oh, a few wow. days and leave set. So we had to quickly rearrange the schedule because, you know, that happens. Um, I don't know that. Yeah. So he, uh, he's a great guy though. I mean, he was super professional, really easy to work with. I was nervous because he's, you know, you always get a little nervous because, okay. Yeah. And you think, is this person going to be a jerk or, you know, what's going to happen? Yeah. Um, but no, he was, he, he was very particular about stuff, but in a way that reflected that he knew what he was doing. He'd been doing it for a while. You know? So has it been announced like uh, the, the release date of this movie? Have they even t- no, talked I think about it's, it? I think it's still in post-production right oh, okay. now, which takes a while because that's when they're putting the sound with the visuals and doing anything else they need to do. And okay. Well, you've... you've it, uh, it was just like June, you know, when we shot it, so it's not been that long. But ago. it's been released like as far as like the name of the movie? Or no, not even that? Yeah, I think so. It's called Providence. Okay. Yeah. Be on the lookout for that. Maybe uh, 2024? Yeah. Maybe 2023. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure they'll send me an email, but yeah. Well, I think it's cool that you've like worked with a lot of different, um, you know, musicians and artists and stuff like with your own music and uh, Voight Comp, is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. Um, with a couple guitars. You, you're one of the guitarists and right. then you work with a drummer and mm-hmm. is there bass in it too? Or is it just a couple guitars and bass? No, it's so Voight Comp. First of all, to explain the name so people don't think I'm a neo-Nazi or something. <laughs> That's a reference to Blade Runner. It's it's it, the guy that came up with the name of the band was really into sci-fi, and the whole idea is that like it's supposed to evoke a response from the audience, um, because the Voight-Kampff test was like the way they tested if you're a robot or not uh, in the movie. So yeah, it's kind of just a little bit of that, but um, it's it's been a changing lineup over the years. I mean, it, it, the people I'm playing with now were actually in the original group. One of, one of those members left, um, and then uh, another guy came in and he was a bassist and a drummer, but then he left and then now we're back with the original guy. So it's been this kind of ever evolving. Okay. Cause you know, it was just friends playing. We, we've, we've never like been like a big deal. I mean, back in the day we would have 
avant-garde kind of like art house shows and have people come in from Europe and do like free jazz and stuff like that. But And how long have you been doing, doing uh, projects with them? Well, I took a big break because like we, we all moved to other towns, right? Got married, had kids, whatever. Not me, though. I'm single, just so you hey, know. Hey, Matt Hamilton's single. Matt Hamilton's single. But um, <laughs> single's a day is long. But um, no, it. Um, so we kind of fell out of touch. And then it's only been in the last, like, so there was like a good 10-year gap, I want to say. Um, and then we kind of just started talking again. And now we all live in different cities, but we use uh, Jamulus. It's this app that you can dial into, and then you can stream and hear each other playing. So we just do jams you know, and record it and that way. Just send the, send the tracks and you, do you mix it? Do you like mix all the, yeah. All the so we keep everyone on their own track, which anyone who knows anything about recording, is a really good idea. Um, cause we didn't do that initially and it was, uh, I've never been able to get that stuff mixed right because it's like, you'll have drums and clarinet and vocals all on the same track and you're just like, Oh my God, you know, you're changing things yeah. left and right. Uh, but, yeah, um, now that we're doing ISO tracks, like I, I'll go actually go sit over at the Smokers Abbey and just have a laptop, and I use Reaper, which is this audio recording program, and I'm kind of learning again because you know I've not used this stuff since I got out of school, so I'm aware of the concepts, but it's a big gap between the concepts and the actuality of it. So I'm kind of getting up to speed at trying to record them or, or mix them. You know? Yeah, yeah. So when you went to school, MTSU, right? Yeah. here in Nashville, mm-hmm. um, or well, Murfreesboro. Murfreesboro. Yeah. Um, is that what you is that what you wanted to do uh, outside of like graduating? Is work in live sound, or is there some some other goal that you wanted to to pursue? Well, I kind of naively thought by taking music classes, I would get better at music, and all I got better at was music theory because they weren't performance classes, so I actually couldn't apply. It's like a it's kind of like going to art school, and they tell you about all the paintbrushes, but you never get to use one. Mm-hmm. So I could. You know, if you're like, oh, how you want to paint this? I'd be like, oh, you'd want to use this, but I don't have the skill to do it. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of disappointing because I wanted to do jingles, believe it or not. I wanted oh, to really? Just, yeah, because right then Pro Tools had just become a thing right as I graduated. And I was envisioning like, oh, I have a home studio and I can just play these little jingles and be self-employed. And, you know, but that kind of freaked me out a little too much because I'd never had a, a freelance job. Uh-huh. So. That's something I have always wanted to kind of get into, too. My, my brother is always like, Jordan, do a jingle. And I'll like come, come, come up with something off the cuff. And well, it's easy, um, easier, right. Than doing an entire song. Cause yeah. you just have to get a hook. Exactly. Like a 30 exactly. second hook that you're like, okay. I always think of two and a half men with, uh, uh, Charlie Sheen doing the jingle thing, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> but, I actually, actually did some interning when I was younger, you know, like with people that did jingles, but it just, yeah, I just never learned just enough. Fell by to, the way I said, yeah. well, you should get back into it. That'd be cool. Nah. I'll, uh, I'll team up with you. I'll, uh, write some jingles for you. Yeah, we could start Jordan and Hamilton uh, J and H uh, jingle yes, writing. Let's do it. Um, but I thought it was—I thought it was really cool that with your job, you've like traveled a ton of places, like the Bahamas, Ireland, and all these different where the Dominican Republic. Like, what yeah. was your favorite place that you've traveled um, with your with your job? Honestly, the my favorite and the most difficult was uh, this place called Akan Village, and it was in Sudan. Mm-hmm. And that was right about the time the North and South were fighting each other. And we, we literally, it was for this documentary for, for a, well, you know, Big and Rich, the band Big and Rich. Yeah. So the big part of that, Kenny uh, Alfin, um, he 
was uh, supporting a girls' school there, and he wanted to do a documentary to kind of help drum up support and show that, like, hey, this is real. I'm not just this guy who's, like, trying to milk you for money. Right. So there was an ethic behind it. Um, but, yeah, he had to go talk to the State Department of in, like, D.C. to let us even fly over there. And we, like, flew to Kenya and then took a charter plane, and that halfway there, the cover to the engine cowling blew off, and we had to turn around and come back and get another plane and wait a day and... But when you got there, we landed on a dry dirt bed, and when the plane took off, you were just like, well, we're here until oh the plane comes back, hopefully, you know. No electricity, no running water, you know. It was it was amazing. I mean, it's probably what most people stereotypically think of as like, oh, I'm going to an African village. It was dead on, you so know. So what, what was the type of amenities that you, or where were you staying? Like, where did you stay? Well, they had a little, like, compound area oh, i mean it was like a fence basically around a little area where like the unicef people were staying because there were a bunch of them there and then we were inside there in little tents you know we took tents with us and um didn't have any this guy actually went with us who built a solar powered battery charging station for us so that we could just run our equipment you know wow it was it was crazy so back to the back to the way that you make your music because I find it interesting that you kind of like do everything yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, How meticulous are you with, with mixing, making the sound or how do you know what to do? Um, Because you are kind of like self-taught in that. Um, Right. Or what is your goal in, in putting more out? Do you have any sort of goal as like, you know, Oh, I'm going to make my, uh, an artist Spotify page and put my music out. Or is that kind of like, are you, do you just do it mostly just for your own enjoyment? I mean, you know, it's like, I'll say two things. Like, I, you know, on the one hand, yes, I want to get it out there just so people can hear it. On the other hand, I have no illusions about what I'm doing being like, you know, anything I'm going to make money on or, mm-hmm. you know, it's more for, for something I care about. And I just think, well, somebody else might hear it and they might enjoy it. And that's great. You mm-hmm. know, that's kind of the level I'm at. Um, but I think, you know, I use, like, I really like this musician, uh, Brian Eno. He, uh, talks about idiot energy. He was not trained theoretically at all for music. And he was a visual artist, but he just kept working at music and he would create these like really interesting soundscapes. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of a big inspiration for me to be like, oh, okay. I mean, I know rhythm and I know if something sounds good together, I just can't play quickly. I'm not like a shred master or anything. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of tried to make my handicap into my... Uh, you know, my technique, if that makes sense. It's like, you know, it's like, well, I'm not good at this, but I can play one note slowly and then figure it out the next one slowly. So that led to me using loop pedals a lot because what you can do is you can drop a note in and then it'll come back around and repeat after so many seconds. And if you hear that repeat, then you go, oh, okay, wait a minute, I could do this next note. And then you drop it in and it adds on to it and you can just build these layers up. Uh And in some ways it's actually a lot easier than playing with other people because you know what you just did. Whereas when other people are playing, you have to have a really good ear to go, oh, okay, they're playing a C or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, you can kind of do it, but I'm, I'm not like that good with ear training. So it's actually a lot easier when you're playing along with yourself because you know you just played a C. And so the next note could be like an E or something. And you're like, okay, well, this is going to... Now, have you done a lot of live shows by yourself or, you know, I, I talked about the Smokers Abbey thing when they had the art show, mm-hmm. um, but have you done any more of that um, just solo stuff yourself? Well, there, like, you know, that big break kind of, you know, 
basically VoightConf kind of just disintegrated. You know, what, there was no ill will. It was just we kind of had other stuff. Mm-hmm. And I ended up uh, kind of doing some solo things because I figured, well, I'm doing this at home. I may as well take it out on the road and see what happened. So, you know, I played at the Exit Inn. Um, I played a show at uh, Five Spot actually right when they opened. And, uh, you know, some places like that around town. Um, but then there's been a big, like I think the last time I played out before recently was like 2005. I mean, there was a huge break where I just kind of just didn't do anything with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I kind of started waking back up to like, yeah, you know, I kind of miss doing that. And so most recently I played a house show in Murfreesboro, which was hilarious. It was great. I think it was called Trash Fest. Oh, okay. Um, a friend of mine, uh, Delaney Fitzhugh, put it on, and uh, it was basically a lot of like noise and kind of like you know noise music, kind of like avant garde kind of stuff. Um, and I was I was a little nervous, honestly, because I'm like 50, and I was thinking, oh my god, I'm going to get out there, and there's going to be a bunch of 20 year olds looking at me like this guy's lame. He's just <laughs> playing these like you know ambient tracks or whatever. Yeah. So I, you know, I got a little more noisy and did stuff, but they all liked it. So it was very kind of encouraging to me. Uh, and I think that's one thing I do see with a lot of like younger musicians is there's a lot of like support. Oh yeah, for you sure. Know, there's not. There's not that kind of Nashville competition. It's like, hey, we're just making music that we love. And that's really the more, the kind of people that I'm drawn to. Yeah, that's what I love about this town too. Like a lot of the artists that I have on the show, um, they're very, you know, cordial in, in, in bringing people in and who they work with. And mm-hmm. like you said, it's not a competition. It's about, you know, for the love of music. And I think that, yeah. you know, people all struggle and we've we've talked, you know, in depth about, you know, life and, and yeah, how, yeah. how it makes us feel. But I think that the common denominator for a lot of people is the way that we, we listen to things that make us feel good and, right. and, and, and play music that well, makes and, us feel good. And in some ways, like I'm, you know, and I mean, not to keep like dropping like names of people I like, but like, I've never, li- I've actually never liked Frank Zappa's music that much, but he did say at one point that, you know, he wrote music that he liked because he thought, well, if I like it, someone else will. Mm-hmm. And that's really pretty much how I am. I mean, when I make music, it's like, well, I don't know that anyone else is going to like this, but I know I like it. So someone maybe, you know, get a kick out of it, you know? Yeah, for sure. And it's also kind of like doing magic tricks when you're playing. I've kind of realized, like, if you make a sound and someone's not a musician, they don't know how you're doing it. It may be to you like it's just a simple, like you hit this pedal, set it to that, play these notes. But, you know, it's it really is kind of like the magic happens because of, you know, they don't know what you're doing. It's like a sleight of hand, you know. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate your uh, insight into this and everything. I kind of want to hear um, some some of the stuff that you've done. If we can mm-hmm. place uh, maybe a track or, you know, a snippet of, yeah. of some of your stuff. Um, we'll play that at the end. But um Maybe you want to plug where where we can find you on the socials and stuff or anything like that? Yeah. Um, so I'm on Bandcamp. I don't have a lot of stuff out. I've only really started because, you know, the new media stuff, I was kind of slow to adopt. Mm-hmm. Uh, Voigtkampf, which it's an odd spelling, so it's easier if you look for VKMusicOrg, O-R-G, okay. without any decimals or anything. But that's our name at, like, Instagram and on YouTube. I think it's, you know, Voigtkampf Music and you or like VK music and then you do a Nashville search because I think there's other ones on there. Gotcha. It's basically, it's this brain floating over the earth at night. So this is kind of hard to miss, <laughs> but we're on all the social media, just VK music org. Okay, sweet. All right. Well, thanks Matt. I appreciate you. And, uh, we'll, uh, we'll see you next time.
Thanks for tuning in to Notable Nashville Podcast, broadcast from Acme Radio Live right in the heart of downtown Nashville. Check us out on the socials, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And if you like it, you can also support this podcast on Anchor by clicking the link in the platform that you are listening on. Hey, until next time, thanks for listening to Notable Nashville Podcasts.